You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe. And as I've said in recent days and as I've said in recent weeks, when somebody's in the same job in the same role for 25 years, that situation tends to run its course at some point. And I think we can all agree that changes have to be made to this team that is 61 and 65 and has the second highest payroll in baseball with $280 million. The complaints have gotten louder over the last two weeks three weeks and how could they not the way that this team is playing but for the first time today hearing brian cashman admitting that this is a disaster of a season you're listening to pat o'keefe and harvey i'll give you this one who currently is the manager of the new york yankees Uh, brian cashman the manager manager is boone two a's thank you general manager two a's on 98.7 espn write it down maybe write it down in pen General manager of the New York Yankees is Brian Cashman. For now and perhaps into 2024. Time to talk some football. Final preseason game is this Saturday night for the Giants and Jets. You can hear it right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Our pregame coverage beginning at 4 p.m. before they kick off at MetLife Stadium. It's a Giants home game. And uh, my first opportunity here in 2023 to speak with ESPN's Giants reporter, Jordan Renan, hopping on for a couple minutes today. Jordan, how you been, man? I'm good, Pat. I mean, yeah, come on, man. Back off my boy, Harvey. <laughs> Two A's in Aaron, come by on. the way. Two A's in Aaron. Write that down. Good, he's, a good, he's a good Giants fan, you know? Come on, leave him alone. Harvey likes anything from the state of New Jersey. He's all uh, pumped up for this messy Red Bulls game on Saturday night as well. But, of course, you'll be not far away from there. You'll be at MetLife Stadium. Um, We know what the Jets, Jordan, are doing in that game. Aaron Rodgers and presumably as many healthy starters as they can muster. Not a lot of talk about the Giants, but I I feel that that's worth mentioning as well. So uh, what is the Giants' approach? (laughs) Exactly, right? There will be two teams playing in this game. Um, and two quarterbacks. Second fiddle in this city these days. Imagine that. How do the Giants approach this final preseason game? Yeah, I'm not expecting them to play many of their starters. Uh, you could kind of see it in practice. Like that that's the way that it's heading at this point. Maybe some of the younger guys will play. Continue to get them experience. Maybe like the two starting cornerbacks, both rookies, I guess kind of starting. Uh, Jordy Jackson's also in that mix. Um, when they, but yeah, so I'd be surprised if we saw most, if not all, of the Giants starters, uh, which makes it even more interesting. Like, why are Aaron Rodgers? Why is Aaron Rodgers playing? And he's gonna be playing against like the Giants backups. So seems kind of weird to me. But uh, hey, that's the other side of town. I'm not there every day. I, I don't really quite understand it. But from the Giants' perspective, I think we saw. They're getting their work in uh, against their own defense. Daniel Jones looked pretty good in the limited action that he saw. In his one drive, actually, they looked pretty dominant. Uh, so I think I think uh, Brian Dable is willing to let it ride and go into the regular season. This is kind of the, the same path that they took last year, and the starters didn't really play in that final preseason game. Yeah, that's why I thought if Rodgers were going to play, it would have been last week because generally it's the second-to-last preseason game. But this is the path that the Jets yeah. are choosing. Um, as far as well, Jones – I said it on the station, though, like a couple – like a month ago when he was on, though, that – and this was like, you know, 
before any preseason game that if Rodgers played, it would probably be in the final game against the the, the Giants. So I'm I'm thinking this was his plan all along. And he will be out there, probably not for, for, for terribly long, maybe a series or two. Um, but when we talk about Daniel Jones, and, and you're right, he looked really good in the one action that we saw of him last Friday night. But, you know, overall, obviously he signs the big contract. He is the quarterback of the present right now for the Giants. Um, he's a guy who you hear him talk, and, and you talk to him every week, Jordan, but he never really seems to change in that respect. But just in terms of his demeanor, in terms of – continuing to be the quarterback of this franchise, but now on stronger financial footing. Has there been any change to uh, to Daniel Jones this preseason? Nah, he's as boring as ever when you talk to him at the podium, man. You know, you know he's going to give you the same answers. You know, uh, what's it like, you know, with Aaron Rodgers playing across town, you know, we're just worried about ourselves. Same, you know, even keel. Daniel Jones. Now, on the field, maybe you see a little different Daniel Jones. You probably see a little more confident version, uh, more decisive. But just his demeanor and how he goes about his work, I don't think you see much different from Daniel Jones at all. How has he looked to you, both in practice and in the limited action we saw last week? He's looked excellent. I mean, Daniel Jones has really looked good this summer. I have, so I think today was practice 17 or 18. I got to look at my notes exactly. But in those 17 or 18 practices, he's thrown three interceptions. Like, that's a really, really low number. You're talking about, you know, 20 to 30 passes a day times 17, you know, like 500 passes. And you're talking about three interceptions. Like, that's pretty darn good that when you're learning a new offense like they were last year, you would see days where you would throw, you know, two interceptions in a day, no problem. Like Eli Manning, same thing when he was learning a new offense. Now year two, you obviously see a clear uh, progression. You see improvement, and you see a better version of Daniel Jones. And so, and let's be fair, he's got a lot of better players around him in regards to the weapons. Now the one caveat to this all, and it's kind of gone under the radar. Thank you, Jets, for this, because what, what's the one thing you heard about the Jets? They're offensive line, they're offensive line, they're offensive line. The Giants' offensive line may be even bigger concern than the Jets' offensive line, right? Especially if Evan Neal is not greatly improved. Because the interior of the Giants' line is questionable. Their guards are, you know, unknown at this point. They're running a three-man rotation between Mark Lewinsky, Ben Bredesen, and Josh Zudo, neither is likely a high-end guard. They're playing a rookie center. And if Evan Neal's not, you know, still struggles at right tackle, that's a pretty rough line. And you see it at times during training camp when Wink Martindale gets to go and throw all his blitzes at that line. You can see the struggles. That's the one thing you worry. Can it derail this offense? Otherwise, if they stay healthy, this offense could be potent. You're right. Uh, the Giants can thank the Jets for that because there has been virtually no talk of the Giants' offensive line being a concern. You know, the, the way you describe Evan Neal, Jordan, it reminds me of the arc of Andrew Thomas's career because he struggled his yeah. first season, and the Giants were uh, told every which way that they made the wrong choice with the fourth pick in that draft. And, and fast forward three years later, and 
Thomas signs his contract extension. So uh, are the Giants, is, is there hope among the Giants that Evan Neal can follow that same path? Uh, sure, there is. But I, for every Andrew Thomas, your name, I can name you five guys, Eric Flowers, Will Hernandez. I mean, you want me to go, I can go on and on of guys that didn't, you know, get infinitely better as they went along after they struggled early in their career, right? So I think in a way, like, it's almost unfair that we keep saying this about Evan Neal. You're comparing him to the outlier at this point rather than what the norm is. I think if Evan Neal improves, and you have seen some things that give you, he has a very strong work ethic. He changes stance. He is getting out a little quicker. I still, there's still things that I see that I'd be concerned with. Uh, but, you know, if Evan Neal is an average tackle, like that's a success this year. Like we're not, I don't think you should expect him to turn into a pro ball, all pro type tackle like Andrew Thomas did at this point. Right. Let's take a baby step. Let's get him to average. I think, I think it was 53 uh, offensive tackles were graded last year by pro football focus that qualified with enough snaps. And he was like second to last, like 52nd of 53 offensive tackles in regards to grade. And you want to use the ESPN stats, you know, pass, rush win, uh, pass block win rate, run block win rate. None of it was very good. So let's just get him to average before we start going to the uh, Andrew Thomas progression. Yeah, for sure. We're chatting with uh, ESPN's Giants reporter Jordan Renan, uh, final preseason game Giants-Jets Saturday at MetLife Stadium. Outside of the offensive line concerns that you just laid out, what other questions do you have about this Giants team? Their depth is a little concerning. Like, if they, like, what do they have a running back behind Saquon? Uh, you know, if they lost Saquon, they, that would be a the huge downgrade. I'm not sure they'd be able to survive in the backfield with what they have. Um, cornerback is still they're they're really short at cornerback. Uh, they're they're basically looking to start two rookies and uh, you know in three cornerback sets. And what do they have behind them? Very little, if at all. Uh, the slot cornerback spot worries me. The inside linebacker spot is thin. So this team, if, if they could be, I they could be a very good team if things you know turn out right for them. They are able to stay healthy in the right spots. If they suffer some injuries at some key spots, I'm not sure they're going to be able to survive because the roster still quite isn't there yet. Joe Shane has made improvements. Their starters are significantly better. Now you're just at the point where, well, what do they have behind them? And you know what happens at football pack. Every team has injuries. You know, you mentioned Daniel Jones's weapons and how this offense could be really, really good. Tell me about the group at receiver. How do you see that depth chart shaping up right now? Yeah, uh, well, part of that is Wandell Robinson, right? Because he tore his knee last year. He's about nine months out now from knee surgery. And so the Giants are kind of, I think, dragging their feet on this intentionally like why rush him back so let's kind of exclude him from the mix for a second even though he's been running that's him running routes the other day and he's looking better and he's looking like he's getting fairly close you have isaiah hodgins you have darius Slayton on the outside and you have paris campbell in the slot that's going to be the giant starting trio right there 
right? Sterling Shepard looks great. Now, how much can you trust Sterling Shepard to stay healthy? I, I think anything the Giants get from him is a bonus. But he's going to make the team. He looks really good, actually. I'm, you're surprised <laughs> that he, when you look on the field that this guy who has coming off an Achilles tear followed by an ACL tear probably has the most out of anybody under that wide receiving core. Pretty spectacular. And then Jalen Hyde, I mean, that's speed. He's obviously a lot. So now we're at five. So where else do they go? Cole Beasley came back today from a little minor injury. He's Brian Dibble's guy. I would be a little surprised if he didn't make it. And then it's kind of like, all right, what do they do with that uh, seventh spot if they bring seven wide receivers? Bryce Ford-Wheaton is a player I think you need to keep your eye out for. Undrafted rookie from West Virginia, size-speed combo, very impressive. But the thing is, it's not that he's a contributor at wide receiver. You just can't fill the whole bottom of your roster with wide receivers who aren't going to play special teams. And they like Bryce Ford-Wheaton on special teams. That leaves a guy like Colin Johnson, who probably would have started last year if he didn't Paris Achilles, Jamison Crowder, uh, and everybody else kind of looking at it from the outside in in regards to that wide receiver position. Yeah, certainly a lot of names there. A lot of guys who have had NFL careers to sort out. Um, a lot of guys one. who play in the slot, though, Pat. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. The Beasley, the, the Beasley-Dayball connection is a strong one for sure. Yeah, let me tell you this real quick. Brian Dayball was texting him all throughout last year trying to get Beasley to come. I, several times throughout last year. And Beasley kind of was retired. He didn't want to do it. He decided later on to come back. But there was definitely interest all throughout last year, almost, between those two. So there's a serious connection there. You know, Jordan, understanding that the NFC quarterback talent is not what it is in the AFC, um, is there a scenario, given, you know, it's, it's it seems to be Jalen Hurts, you know, Dak Prescott, and whomever, is there a scenario in which Daniel Jones can become, let's say, a top three quarterback in the NFC this season? That's a good question. I honestly, I, I there is a scenario where you could say, okay, look, there was a point where I'm, I'll be honest. I I thought that I watched the Giants and the Eagles play two years ago, and Jalen Hurts probably played just, uh, the worst game of his career, uh, and I was like, you know what? If you put Daniel Jones on that Eagles team. He would be better than Jalen Hurts. And then Jalen Hurts went out last year, took his game to a new level, played absolutely incredible in the Super Bowl, too. I think that kind of gets lost. So, yes, he's that number one guy. There's a fair argument to be made that Daniel Jones, by the end of the season, could be the second-best quarterback in the NFC. I really do believe so. Like, who's in that conversation? Assuming that Matthew Stafford is not the same player that he once was, because I'd probably lean in that direction. But who else you got? Her Cousins. Daniel Jones already is in that category, probably, right? Geno Smith played great last year. Daniel Jones is in the same category as him. Dak Prescott, we've seen the ups and downs. Uh, I'm not sure. I I think we've probably seen the best of Dak Prescott. We're not going to see like an improved, greatly improved version at this point of him. I think he is what he is at this point. So, yeah, I, I do think Daniel Jones is an ascending player. And I think if he played the same way that he did last year, Pat, you tell me, what do you think? If he played the same exact way as he did last year, but with better players around him, don't you think, like, I think he would have, like, I know people fixate on that 15 touchdowns. 
Go look at all his numbers. Go go look at his QBR. Look at the way he played. Go back and look at the game. Game-winning scores. You don't have game-winning come-from-behind victories. Just take on Barkley's running the ball. No, you, when you're coming back late in games, you're doing it because your quarterback's doing it with his arms and his legs. Right? So if he plays the same way he did last year, but with the much better talent around him, his numbers will be significantly better, at least in the mid-20s, maybe even close to 30 touchdown passes. Like, I, I really have zero doubt that if he plays the same way he did last year, that his numbers will be very big. Well, I agree. And, and we watched it happen, Jordan, as the season went on, and he lost more and more weapons. You know, guys kept going down. And by the end of the season, it was a whole yeah. new cast of characters. Darius Slayton was their number one receiver, and then it became Hodgins. But as that was happening... He started to figure it out more and more. He figured out how to win football games with less talent around him. We saw it happen last year. So, yeah, it stands to reason that if you put better talent around him, then he will be able to elevate his game. So I completely agree. He was their best offensive player in the second half of last year. Go back and watch it. I dare you tell me that Saquon Barkley was their best offensive player in the second half of last year. Yeah, Barkley got the ball rolling on the season. He helped Jones build his confidence, but then the confidence was through the roof the second half. Barkley got nicked up, and yeah, I completely agree with that too as well. Yeah, so, I mean, if you translate that over, I mean, I think he was tied for six. Yeah, was definitely tied for six in QBR last year, and that takes into account a lot of different factors. I, that, that, to me, is one of my favorite quarterback stats. That kind of shows like how an individual played. Uh, not just straight touchdown numbers. The Giants did end up with a lot of rushing touchdowns. But sometimes you just happen to the way it works out is you get tackled at the one-yard line a bunch of times and you end up running the ball in, right? And, and so I think that 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 kind of factored into the, the 15 touchdowns. Everyone, for some reason, just fixates on their like and, – and, you know, the default with Daniel Jones, and I sound like a Daniel Jones apologist here, but it's always like, oh, the turnovers, the turnovers. And – Look, Brian Dable did a great job at Mike Kafka, and they took it to a new level. But you have to go go look at it. The turnover problem was several years back now. It was already on the verge of head trending in the right direction and being fixed under the previous regime. Like, it was already dwindling. Go look at the numbers. Every year, the last few years, it's been getting cut down and down and down. That was an early uh, career thing with Daniel Jones, I think, we're pretty much past him now. Will he throw, what did he throw, six interceptions last year? Will he throw more than that? Yeah, he probably will. There's not many quarterbacks that go out and throw four, five, six interceptions in a season. That's only when, like, your top seasons or your, or your Aaron Rodgers, you know, where you throw less than ten interceptions, like, no problem. Like, that's not normal. Will those interceptions go up? Probably. But I do think the days of that turnover thing, that narrative is kind of old and lazy when people use it. Jordan, let me finish with this. What is the path for the Giants to improve on 9-7-1? and one? Well, i got to stay healthy. Like I said before, that depth kind of does concern me. Uh, have some growth from some of their younger players. That they need Kayvon Thibodeau or Aziz Ojolari to really blossom into his high-end pass rusher. That, to me, can take their defense to the next level. And if you combine that with playing alongside Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, now you're working with something to help protect, especially the back end, which is likely to have two cornerbacks on the field together a lot of times. So uh, that and just have Daniel Jones continue to 
grow and keep Darren Waller healthy because that dude's their number one receiver. It's pretty clear. He is a physical freak and a complete mismatch. And if they could keep him on the field, they'll be a different team. If they can't keep him on the field, uh, they're back to the point of, okay, how good are Daniel Jones' pass-catching weapons, right? Because think about it. Like I told you with depth, once you take him out of the mix, yeah, they have depth at wide receiver, but does that mean their wide receiver group is really good? No. It's sufficient when you have Darren Waller. You don't have Darren Waller, who has an injury history, 20 games over the past two years combined, and you then you look at the wide receiver core with now all of a sudden Daniel Bellinger is your dynamic pass-catching tight end. Like, it's, it's not so pretty anymore. So, Darren Waller, to me, is the key to getting this team to where they need to be. Jordan, thanks for taking the time tonight, getting us all set for what should be an exciting season. And um, I promise I will be nicer to Harvey for the rest of the evening. So, you have my word. <laughs> man, Harvey's my guy, man. Be nice. Speak thanks, soon, man. Thanks, man. That's Jordan Renan, ESPN's Giants reporter, getting us all set for the other team in town, which is what the Giants have become with the presence of number eight, Aaron Rodgers. Your calls on the Giants, the Yankees, whatever else is on your mind as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, so good stuff with Jordan. The biggest question he answered for me, they have so many names of guys that have done things in the NFL in that wide receiver room. And, yeah, Waller is the best weapon in the pass-catching game as the tight end. And if he's healthy, he changes everything. A lot of depth in wide receiver, but not a lot of high-end depth. And I was wondering how that would shake out. So Hodgins, Slayton, and Paris Campbell, uh, the projected uh, Jordan Renan's mind, uh, three starters at wide receiver for the Giants. Expect Sterling Shepard to be on the roster. Jalen Hyatt, obviously the rookie who has been impressive so far, has a roster spot. And it appears that Cole Beasley uh, has a strong consideration for a roster spot as well in that wide receivers room. Let's hear from you. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Tommy in Connecticut. Tommy, what's going on? What's up, Pat? How you doing, man? So, uh, is, is Harvey's mic up? Because uh, I Aaron Judge is unbelievable. So, I, I just want to... How does he? How does he stack up versus Messi in uh, <laughs> in the MLS? Because yeah, I, 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 listen, I'll give credit wherever it's due. Let's see. Judge three home runs tonight. We'll see if Messi six, goes six over, RBIs. Six RBIs. We'll see if Messi goes over that in goals scored on Saturday night against Harvey's Red Bulls. Because that dude has been balling out. Harvey. And, and, Come on, come on, Harvey. I mean, my Rebels are a pretty tough defense, but Messi's been on fire ever since he touched the planet. So, a hat trick is a bit tough, but if if anyone can do it, he can do it. Here in in New York, come to the big stage. He's been on big stages before, I think. Yeah, he won a World Cup, I believe, six months ago. Uh, Yeah, he did. That was a pretty big stage. So, we'll see. Tommy, more, more goals for Messi, more goals for Messi, or home runs for Judge tonight? What's your final call on that? Uh, more home runs for Judge. Okay, what's on your mind? Uh, just I, I was, I don't know. I just wanted to talk sports. Finally, the Yankees <laughs> win. I I just sat through, you know, as long as I could with the such and such party debate 
And uh, basically it was like a long episode of Get Up with, you know, Greeny, Mad Dog, Rex, Stephen A., Key, all at the same time. Yeah, well, hey, enjoy. Listen, enjoy. I just the, wanted to talk sports for a minute. <laughs> enjoy the win, and I appreciate that. And we're always here for that. And thanks for the call. Uh, Yankees do get one nine to one, snapping that nine game losing streak. Thanks to their captain and a terrific pitching performance by Luis Severino. Let's go to Dunny and Freehold. Dunny, what's up? What's going on, my man? How we doing? How we doing tonight? Great show. Thank you. I appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. But listen, listen, I res- I- I'm going to peel the Band-Aid off really quickly here so I'm not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan die hard. I'm there, and I need to tell you something. I love Jordan Renan. I actually really respect his reporting. He's tapped in. He knows what's going on with the Giants, and I respect that. I like people who know good ball and they can report on it, and he does a phenomenal job. But I am listening to every station, New York station. You turn on the, the, the head radio station, the TV station. People are gassing Daniel Jones up. This guy does not win divisional games. Year over year, last year, worse on third down, doesn't throw past the sticks. People are talking about this guy, and they're putting him ahead of Dak Prescott. You are lucky. This year, if Daniel Jones leads a top, what, 15, 10, 12 scoring offense, that's every year. Listen, I respect the head coach. I respect the GM. I think the Giants finally got it right in that front office. And Daniel Jones did take a lead last year. He's athletic. Kid can play. I'm not saying he can't play. But the class that they are putting this kid in, let me, let me ask you a question. Year over year, quarterbacks that run, right, rushing quarterbacks, do defensive coordinators just let them get better year over year? Name one. Doesn't happen. Daniel Jones is going to need to beat you with his arm. And do you trust or do Giants fans really trust that this guy is going to sit back in the pocket and be better than Dak or a Jalen Hurts or whoever you're naming, right? This well, here, let me let me let me, let me let me answer that, Dunny, and I, I appreciate the call. And, and yeah, the way I phrase the question to Jordan, and I have asked this question to others on air, yeah, you have to listen to the way I phrased it. By the end of the year, does he have the potential to be a top three quarterback in the NFC? And I said top three. I've actually been saying top two. Right now, if you ask me to list the NFC quarterbacks, it's clearly Jalen Hurts, number one. And I still put Dak Prescott, number two. And I'll also say this. By the end of last season, when Jones was playing as well as he did in December and Dak was struggling towards the end of the regular season, leading the league in interceptions despite missing four games, I said last year at that time I would pick Daniel Jones over Dak. It's the offseason. We're about to begin a new season. If I'm ranking quarterbacks in the NFC, I put Dak Prescott as number two because he has done it for longer. And he's still age-wise in his prime, although I would agree with Jordan. I think we've seen the best of Dak Prescott. But I think what he's done compared to what Daniel Jones has done merits that right now I put Dak Prescott at number two. But if you 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 know you stick the proverbial gun to my head and say, by the end of the year, do you think Daniel Jones will surpass Dak Prescott? I do. I think Jones is trending upward. 
and he has a better head coach, and that's part of it. That had a big hand in Jones's success last year. Uh, he's got a better running back, and he has better weapons around him this year. So, yeah, by the end of the year, I think Jones will be ahead of Dak Prescott. But for now, I'll put Dak ahead of Jones. But there's other guys in that mix. You know, what if Geno Smith does what he did last year? What if Justin Fields takes the leap that some people seem to think he's going to take in year three? They put more talent around him as well. What if Jared Goff continues to play the way he played at the end of last season? There's a handful of teams right now that are sitting, waiting for the season to begin, looking at their quarterback position, and if you concede the top spot in the NFC to Jalen Hurts, which you should right now, that's his spot unless it's taken from him, okay? If you concede that to Hurts, there's at least six or seven teams in the NFC that are looking at their quarterback and saying, if things go right, we could have the second-best quarterback in the conference, in the NFC, by the end of the season. And the Giants are one of those teams, and the Lions are one of those teams. The Vikings are still one of those teams. The Saints with Derek Carr are one of those teams. The Seahawks with Geno Smith are one of those teams. Things have to go right. But like I said with Jordan in our last segment, the more weapons Daniel Jones seemed to lose last year, the better he played. Might be difficult to admit if you're a Cowboys fan. Let's just see. Right now, I'll throw Dak there at number two because he's done it longer than Jones has. But I'm telling you right now, if I have to place money right now on who's going to be a better quarterback at the end of the year, it's not an easy choice, by the way. It's not an easy, but if I had to, I'm going with Daniel Jones. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Giants offense, it was unique last year. And when Jones got his $40 million a year and his $80 million or $82 million guaranteed, a better contract than Geno Smith did, people, when comparing the two, really only pointed to the amount of touchdowns that each threw. And Jones threw for 15 touchdowns last year. I think Geno threw for at least 30 touchdowns last year with Seattle. Had a great season. Geno Smith had a terrific season leading that team to an unexpected uh, playoff berth. The seasons of Daniel Jones and Geno Smith were very similar last year because they were both quarterbacking teams that there were low expectations for. Neither had had really any consistent success and both played well above what they had done in the past. The biggest difference was, well, first of all, the Giants ended up having a better season. I mean, Jones led the Giants to a playoff victory while Smith couldn't lead the Seahawks to a playoff victory over who by then was the third quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And the other difference is, Geno Smith, we have many more years of evidence that last year was an outlier for Smith than we do for Daniel Jones. It was Daniel Jones's fourth year. You know, Geno Smith had been in the league for a decade before he did anything like that. Now, as far as Jones and the Giants offense this year, which we just went through the wide receiver depth chart with Hodgins and Darius Slayton and Paris Campbell, the expected top three receivers to start the season, the three starting receivers, Paris Campbell in the slot, Darren Waller as the tight end, and, of course, Saquon Barkley, one of the best pass-catching running backs in the NFL. Dan Graziano on Barton Hahn says that the Giants offense will not be based around those wide receivers. 
They hope that Darren Waller is the matchup problem. Quite the wide receiver position still is they have a lot of guys that they like, but they don't know what they have yet. Brian Dayball comes from Buffalo where they throw it all over the yard, and he comes here to the Giants, and it's a running team last year. Why? Because that's the personnel they have. So Brian Dayball is the kind of coach who's going to assess what he has and build an offense around it. This is not an offense that's going to rely on the wide receivers yet. At Someday, he would like it to be. But right now, I think you look at Saquon Barkley and Darren Waller as the top two options in the Giants offense, and what happens with them will be built around it. And if somebody in a wide receiver role starts to play at a level that demands the ball, I think that person starts to get the ball. And I think that's the way Dayball looks at it. I've talked to him about all this and how they're building the program there and how they built it in Buffalo. Josh Allen was not a throw-it-around-the-yard guy right away. Once they had the receivers for him, he was. And I think once that happens for Daniel Jones, that's the idea. And that's why Brian Dayball is such a good coach because he didn't come in and force-feed his system down the throats of his new team. He tailored it to uh, work with their strengths. The Giants' offense last year, the number one strength of that offense was Saquon Barkley running the football. The number two strength was Daniel Jones running the football. The number three strength was Saquon Barkley catching the football. And the number four strength was Daniel Jones throwing the football to somebody other than Saquon Barkley. Now that equation changes because you can go right to the top of the list with Darren Waller. And look, we'll... we'll have to stop saying when healthy. Obviously, Waller's impact on this Giants team is contingent upon his health. But Darren Waller now is the number one option on this Giants team. Now you go Waller, and then you have Barkley in the running game and the passing game, and you have Daniel Jones's running ability, and you also have a better receiving core with Hodgins and Slayton. Hodgins really came on last season. Slayton was steady all season long. We'll see what Paris Campbell can do. Jalen Hyatt looks like he has big playability. And when Wondell Robinson does come back, he was just starting to hit his stride when he tore up his knee in the middle of last season. Now, as far as the Yankees go, they snapped their nine-game losing streak. They avoid the double-digit losing streak by jumping on the Nationals early. Aaron Judge getting them on the board with a home run in the first inning. And after the Yankees were gifted a run by some shoddy Nationals defense in the second, Judge a grand slam in the second. He would later add a third home run. The first time in his career he hits three home runs in the same game. And Aaron Boone impressed with Judge's much-needed big night. What a night he put together. I mean, the first breaking ball he hits out, where he hit it to hit a curveball that that far the other way and then obviously gets to a heater up gore's got a really good arm really good life on his fastball to be able to catch it up there was huge we got some breaks a couple mistakes that we were able to take advantage of and that was good to good to see but what a night by by 99 well he now has 27 home runs and he missed two months of the season and by the way before he missed two months with the toe he missed time earlier in the season with the shoulder injury. So those 27 home runs, maybe to the surprise of Aaron Boone, put Aaron Judge fifth in the American League. I mean, he's special. You know, I mean, obviously what we saw him do last year, he's basically doing the same thing. It just, he missed a big chunk. So he's just a special player. It's pretty remarkable what he does under any circumstance.
especially if he can find a way to finish this season. It looks like 30, if he continues to play, is a near certainty. If he can find a way to finish the season with 35 home runs despite missing so much time, it, it does show, look, when the Yankees start to try to dig out of this hole that they find themselves in, this malaise that the franchise finds themselves in, it's a lot easier to do that when you have as the centerpiece of your franchise arguably the greatest player in Major League Baseball. We'll wrap things up with some thoughts on the football season and more of your calls as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Pat O'Keefe with you. I'll be back again tomorrow night right here, 10 to midnight on 98.7. Been a fun week so far. Yankees got off the schneid earlier, led by Aaron Judge's three home run night, the first of his career. Let's go back to the phones and check in with Buddha in the Bronx. Buddha, what's going on? Hey, Pat, how you doing, man? A couple of analogies. You know, uh, 50 years of hip-hop, a couple of analogies in terms of what you were talking about with the Giants and the Cowboys as opposed to Dak Prescott and uh, Daniel Jones. Now, obviously, Daniel Jones is not the quarterback that Dak Prescott is for a couple of reasons. First reason is he hasn't been on the field enough. Second reason is he hasn't won enough games. But some of that is not his fault. You know, the Cowboy fan who called you, you know, I'll agree with him that, you know, Dak Prescott is better than Daniel Jones at this point. But, you know, Rakim had a good line in the song. You know, he said, it's not where, it ain't where you're from, it's where you're at. So let's check him out at the end of the season because Dak Prescott has a lot to prove. And it seems like his own team, his own management, his own coach, they don't believe in him. You know, they're talking about they're going to run the football ball. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement of a quarterback. Well, I think, Buddha, you can make the case that Dak Prescott is trending in one direction, downwards, and Daniel Jones, based on last year, is trending upwards. I, I, would, I would totally agree with that. I mean, Daniel Jones just has to follow it up. He doesn't have the best weapons. He doesn't have the Cincinnati Bengals weapon. No, he, he does have to follow it up. He do, They're better. Yeah. He does have yeah. to follow it up, which is why, if you ask me today, I would put Dak ahead of Daniel Jones. Yeah, right now. Let's see what happens at the end of the season. That's I, right. I, I think Daniel Jones has some good skills. But, look, when I, when you look at the, the Giants, um, you look at the Jets, too, as well. Uh, you know, all the time you hear about how the schedule is this, the schedule is that. Listen, I mean, I, I've been old enough to watch Bill Parcells have to go up against Joe Gibbs, Bill Walsh, I mean, uh, Mike Dicker when the Bears were where they were. I mean, listen, coaching and all that makes a big difference about where the team's going to be. Looking at the schedule ahead of time means absolutely nothing. So when I look at Gable and I look at Rob Salah, it's like when you send your kids to do a sleepover. There's one place where, you know, they're like the house of pain. They're jumping around till 1, 2, or 3 o'clock in the morning. That's Rob Salah. Then you send them to another house where, you know, look, they're watching a movie. They have a meal. They have a snack. All this stuff is at a certain specific time, and then it's time for bed. And the kids usually want to go to the Rob Sala house more than they want to go to the Brian Dago house. And I just say that just, just to well, – I watched Colin Cowherd earlier today, and he had a, a, a different, like, assessment on the Jets and the Giants. He said he could see a world where the Giants actually performed better. And I'm not talking about necessarily record but being a playoff team and being a winning playoff team. And, you know, the Jets fan in me wanted to push back on that, but the logical fan in me has to look at the situation and say, you know what, he has some points that have merit. The Giants know who their 
live it. The Giants also know that their coach is a coach who's on a high level, who's going to maximize what the team can do, not not become a, like a participant in the ride. And he's an offensive coach. So, you know, Rob Sala's got a lot to prove this year, Pat. And um, I'm telling you something, man. There's not going to be any funny fans or any funny uh, cool vibes, shirts, and all this other stuff that he likes to wear if this team doesn't win 11 games. And I'm concerned about that. Buddha, that's a very fair concern. Thanks, as always, for the call. Have a good night. Um, yes, yeah, Salah, you, you mentioned, rightfully so, that Jones needs to prove and show more. He does. So does Brian Dable, by the way. Dable was fantastic. I, I don't know how he could have coached better last year. That 9-7-1 and one season, that run to the playoffs, that playoff victory, they were so unbelievably unexpected. And it all started with the head coach. I do think the Giants do have a top-flight head coach. But I'm also, I've been around this long enough that I'm not willing to definitively say that after just one season. So I need to see more from Dayball. I need to see more from Daniel Jones. I, I think I will see more from both of them. But if you want to compare them to Sal, and that was a great analogy with the sleepover, by the way. Completely get it. I have kids sleepover age right now, and uh, I definitely want my kids going to the, the Dayball house where they're watching a movie instead of the Sala house where they're going to be up till 3 o'clock in the morning for sure. But whereas Dayball, you want to see more because he's done it for one year. Jones, you want to see more because he's done it for one year. Sala hasn't done it. He hasn't done it. Well, he did it for 11 games, right? He got him off to a 7-4 and four start. He does deserve credit for rebuilding that Jets defense because that is that was the strength of the team when they were in playoff contention. Last year, we learned the Jets were actually a good team when we learned that their defense was better than a lot of people expected. So Salah does deserve credit for that. But overall, as a head coach, he's got to give me at least one full season. And this is going to be a very, very important season because there is a lot riding on this. Thanks to Jordan Renan, Giants-Jets Saturday night, final preseason game. Harvey and Joe, great job. Thanks to all the callers. Again, I'll be back here tomorrow night, 10 to midnight. I'll be here Friday, 7 to 10. Yankees win. Yankees win finally, 9-1, to one, three homers for Aaron Judge. Have a great night. And Harvey, I'll give you this one. Who currently is the manager of the New York Yankees? Uh, Brian Cashman. The manager. Manager is Boone. Two A's. Thank you. General manager, two A's, is Cashman. Got it.